Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. I'll pick you up by your house. Hello, Built by Us listeners. Before we begin, we like to preface all of our episodes by sharing that our conversations take place with individuals of different lived experiences and at varying stages in their journey of learning and unlearning. Because of this, our conversations can be sensitive and triggering. Here at Bill By Us, we want to remind listeners that we will always strive to create brave spaces where productive dialogue is present, all voices are heard and acknowledged, and learning can take place for each guest, listener, and host. Conversations and thoughts from our episodes are not officially representative of the views of Democracy North Carolina. We hope that you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Built by Us. My name is Alyssa Rodriguez. I'm joined here today by our classic Built by Us host, but I also have two new special hosts with us today, Ben and Dimitri, and they're going to have a really cool conversation today that I'm going to let them introduce. But before they introduce that, let's introduce them to you. Thanks, Alyssa. Taylor here. Super happy to have Ben and Dimitri with us today. They are from the central Piedmont region, working with the amazing Miss Linda Sutton. So Ben and Dimitri, uh, can y'all introduce yourselves to our listeners? Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Ben. I am one of the central Piedmont summer interns here at Democracy North Carolina, representing Greensboro. I go to App State and the work that we've been doing with Democracy North Carolina has been so impactful, so meaningful, and I know that this conversation will be those things as well. Hello, everyone. Good morning, friends. Um, my name is Dimitri McKinney. I go to North Carolina State University and have the wonderful privilege this summer of being able to say that I'm colleagues with Ben and get to learn so many wonderful things from Miss Linda. Um, this this is have this has been wonderful as someone from Alamance County. It's great to see how activism is across the state and getting all these different perspectives. And uh, it's it's been a great first half of the summer. Yes, well, we're so glad we have our two new hosts with us today, um, Ben and Dimitri. I hear that you have a really special conversation planned for us today. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you've brought with you today and what kind of conversation you want to have? With us today is former Representative Marcus Brandon. He served in the North Carolina General Assembly as a member of the House, where he was one of the only openly gay representatives. He attended North Carolina A&T University, where he studied political science. And before that, he graduated from Southern Guilford High School. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Representative Brandon. Well, thank you for having me, guys, and thank you for your work. Yes, thank you. So... We have today with us Representative Marcus Brandon, and we are going to have a conversation today about LGBTQIA politics in a post-HB2 North Carolina, which might sound a bit daunting, but overall, we are really wanting to discuss bringing your true self into the workplace and into life in general as well as to discuss some of the current legislation that's been coming out through the North Carolina General Assembly that has targeted trans youth. And overall, this conversation is so, so important, especially 
following Pride Month. Okay, so first question, just to dive right on in, Representative Brandon. What was it like being the only openly gay representative during your session in the North Carolina General Assembly and in the North Carolina House? It was such a weird year because um, I did, I, that was the first year I got, the first year I got elected was also the year that we decided to take up the marriage amendment. And it was also the year that I came out. So there was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of newness. There was a, um, I had just come out to my family and, and friends right before I, I got elected. Um, and so when I got to the General Assembly, I was not well versed on LGBT issues. It wasn't, even though I was LGBT, I wasn't in the fight terms of like, like policy wise and things like that. And because I, you know, of course, a Democrat, African American, I was used to having the fight of civil rights and things like that. But I was not necessarily, um, you know, I, I, I was not necessarily well versed on the policy of, of a marriage amendment and what that would mean. And, and so, um, and of course, the media was, you know, he's the first, you know, uh, African-American, first one in the, in the house um, and the only one serving now. So all questions came, you know, my way. And um, so it was really weird at first. Um, and then I, it, then I, then I kind of grabbed it as it, it was very normal in terms um, of the fight that I was already having. Um, with the least of these, with um, with um, with educational disparities, um, and 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 just simply by being who you are, and 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 laws and things prevent you being great just because of who you are, and so um, so that it was an easier transition, but it did start out weird, and um, and 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 it was, and it was, and and, and it, it was extremely challenging because. Um, here you are trying to make friends and, 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 and trying to get things done and trying to look at people. And then you have a whole entire body on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, who are literally telling you in your face that you are not the same as them and you don't deserve the same rights as them and you are different and we're going to treat you different because of that. And so, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was just, it, it was more the policy was easy, of course. All of us that are in the movement fighting for this, whether you are LGBT or not, fighting for equal rights was not unusual to me. Um, um, I, and so, but what was harder was looking at colleagues, people that, you know, like I said, I was young, um, I have just turned 31 or 32. Um, and, 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 and a lot of those folks that, that I looked at or I looked at as, you know, mentors and heroes that I had seen from afar before I got there. And when you get there and, you know, it's an, it, it, you know, it, it was really weird. To, it was, it was really hard because I, that's where I coined the phrase, you have to move people from one place to the next. And I, that's when I realized that, you know, I had just came out and I had to deal with my life for 31 years and I had 31 years to deal with it. And other people don't have 31 years to deal with it. And so you had to like take a step back and say, you know what, these people are still human beings and they still, you know, they're still wrapped up in their mind, but, but they're still great people. And you had to figure out how to work with them. 
like, you know, Skip Stam, who, um, Reverend Lennon Stam, who actually introduced the bill. But we played tennis together. And so, um, so it was one of those things I felt like that me being there, not necessarily on the policy end, because it wasn't necessarily something I could do to change the minds of both Democrats and Republicans on this issue during that time. But being there, they had to look me in the face and tell me every day that I was less than. And I think that by the end of the time that I left there, we did enact some policies, especially around school, dealing with LGBT youth and things like that, that I don't think that we would have been able to do. And I don't think that um, we would have been able to have those protections. So I, it, it was, it was, a, it was, a diff, it was, I would say it was a difficult um, first freshman year <laughs> for anybody and um and and you know and then but it, it was also good because I, I also got to do things that I would have never done like I never went to a pride before and I'd never um you know interacted with um a lot of the LGBTQ community I was not necessarily out out like that and and so um I, I got to see our community in a whole different way and I got to appreciate it in a whole different way. And I ended up, you know, enjoying being a, a leader in the fight and was doing radio shows and talk shows and things like that. And I never imagined that that would be my first year, never in a million years, but it did. And there were, it was hard, but not all of it was bad. I got to immerse myself in the community. So that was good. And Representative Brandon, you mentioned the marriage amendment. I'm just wondering if you could remind our listeners what the marriage amendment was. Yeah, the marriage amendment was a constitutional amendment banning uh, the marriage of, of same-sex marriage in North Carolina. Now, listen, we had already had, this was the problem that I had, and a lot of the Republicans brought it up, but a Democrat had already put that bill into law. It was already a bill. You know, I mean, it was already a law, but the Republicans were trying to make it a constitutional one. So that marriage amendment, that was the marriage amendment. And so it was a tough time, you know, and we lost the marriage amendment, not only in the General Assembly, but, you know, in, in, in the court of public opinion. And and, and that was really hard, too. And so, um, um, yeah, that, that vote that day was a hard day. Definitely. And overall, thank you for sharing that perspective, because um, I think it is important to remember that the way that the media might write about somebody and one part about them is not who they are overall. Um, And as a queer person as well, I can attest to how disorienting that can feel to walk into a space and sort of become the token or the one person to ask and direct everything to. especially when, uh, like you said, you weren't really engrossed in the policy side of things yet, or even in life, you just had a lot going on. So I think that's a, that's a very important lesson in any spaces um, to have respect for queer people and understand that they also have lives going on and don't have always the time or the energy to be that person to go to for everything. Um, you know, that that weight of educating everyone around you is a heavy one, for sure. Um, oh, it was really, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up, because as a Black queer person, representing a Black district, right, 
where we, my district was not even well, probably was going to vote for the marriage amendment around 80 percent right like you, you know african americans were harder to bring along on this issue right um and so here i am newly elected they don't know who i am i just came out in the paper my parents read it in the paper like all of this thing like it was it was so emotional and then no one cared <laughs> about the emotional stress i was dealing with they all just was like hey you're gay what do you think and i didn't really know what to think at the time and um and 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 the black legislators and the and the black caucus you know um and all who had most of them had voted for the bill and felt like we should have a constitutional amendment so like and so you know it was it was really tough uh and and so it was it it, it, it was really tough but it was what what they say doesn't kill you makes you stronger and like i said the best thing that came out of that it did teach me the policy side of the lgbt it did teach me the wonderful lgbt world that i would had been scared to be a part of my whole life and didn't want to be a part of it right and um it, it, it and it pushed me in it and um and and i i, I met wonderful people and um and realized that everything I was fighting for was the same thing they were fighting for. It was just in a different form and I had no problems doing that. I also wanted to say really quickly, um, the first time that I voted was in 2012. And the reason right. that I voted was to vote against amendment one. And I know that it did pass here, but it, it was, a huge mobilizing effect. I know for people my age being, you know, having just turned 18, I think the year before. Um, so I just like, I have a very huge, like political memory or political connection to that, to that situation. So just wanted to share that for anyone. Who you remember knows. the blue signs everywhere. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it was important. I thought it was important for the kids and I thought it was everything you just said was correct like we lost but we didn't lose right because like i and i said this everywhere i go even when at the dem convention when i spoke at the lgbt conference in charlotte that we didn't lose a thing there more there were way more people that came to our side that went to their side and we got to have a discussion that we were normally not going to have and that people were going to still sit around with their same biases and their same and the same way so even though the Republicans thought they were doing something, the only thing they really did is that they really, really, like you said, mobilized people, got people to start sharing their stories, talking to family members. People came out that had never thought about coming out before. It really changed the landscape for LGBT folks in North Carolina. Um, and it went from 70% to 50%. And now you look at it now and it's like, you know, they could never pass that bill now in the state of North Carolina. So thank you we for starting a conversation that a lot of us was not going to have to begin with and uh, and thank you for moving north carolina forward with that uh, marriage amendment is what i say because you're the ones that moved that forward in your efforts to silence all you did was bring out big voices everywhere and embolden people to have conversations they would have never had and we move people from one place to the next and here we are today where uh, 10 years later you would not even be able to bring that up for a vote Definitely. And um, I think that speaks to another conversation topic. Um, 
and that is seeing LGBTQIA plus people in roles of power and invisible roles, um, especially for young people to see and for anybody to see in the state. Um, can you speak a little bit more to that importance um, and and how that impacted the state? I think it's a very important, so much important, so important that I, when I left office, I made sure that the person that was coming in um, behind me was also LGBT. Um, and as Representative Brockman, he still holds the same seat that I served in. And so we thought it was important that we had LGBT representation, young African-American LGBT representation. The seat was that before, the seat is still that, and it's been that for over a decade. No one talks about them. No, no one talks about that and the importance of that. But um, Representative Brockman has been doing an excellent job in the High Point community, being who he is, just being who he is. And everybody knows that who he is, but that's not all who he is. And that just like, that's not all who you are and that's not all everybody else. And that's the best story that we can have. Um, and and so when just being there, being in places and have having Representative Brandon or Representative Brockman going through communities, talking, not necessarily about LGBT issues, but just talking and and and, and being there and being present and being in schools and being in front of um, the biggest thing I think is that we do. We're in a lot of um, African-American schools and black masculinity is a big issue with LGBT folks. And so they can see that there's two strong black men that are that are that are doing good stuff in this community who happen to be LGBTQ, right? And and so that in itself has been, I think, transformative. You, you've had two elected LGBT folks in the South <laughs> in a predominantly black community and they won over both of them on overwhelmingly uh, in 60 percentile ranges, right? So, um, that's incredible. People don't talk about it, but it's extremely incredible. And and, and Representative Brockman, who is um, serving now, along, um, um, and, 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 and you know, he's doing a great job. So, I think it's important that we see, just like when I was younger, it was important. Just like just like when Obama became president, it was important for young black people to see a black man as president. And I think it's important for LGBT youth and others to see um, LGBT folks in higher positions and and, and important positions and um, and everywhere. Like it doesn't matter the position really. They do, and we represent whether it's the NFL player, whether it's the uh, and you know it it is. It, it's just what it is, you know. So, whatever we are, wherever we show up, we change minds, and ever, and we continue to do that. As you can see, the trends—they all—you're always going to have more people come to our side than go to their side. It's very hard to be biased, and so you're taught bias. And so, as long as we're out there, we can unteach these uh, these things that happen to us as we're younger. The the importance of of education is is something that is very earth moving. Um, I know as I, growing up in a more rural area, as I learned more from my friends, I started to find um, my passion and, and my voice try to be an ally. And also that experience came as a public school kid as well. I'm, I mean, public school kid from kindergarten all the way through now in college. And that brings me to my next question, seeing how active you are with education policy in our state, 
what do you think schools, whether it's administrators, teachers, school boards, whatever, can do to make North Carolina's education system more accessible to LGBTQ youth or to black and brown students or, or however you see that intersection working out? Well, see, I get in trouble with this conversation. I'm going to try to stay out of it and stay where I need to stay. <laughs> but, but like I am a like I believe that I grew up in the school system and I grew up terrified of who I was in that school system and I don't want to see kids doing that right and um and I and I and I'm not blaming a system that was really a societal issue right but I know that I couldn't be who I was and I know that like and there was no way that I could ever ever do that you know, and of course that was, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And I'm, I'm, I am almost positive that is a way better experience now, but now we have different issues and, 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 and even us as a community, we have to work through these issues because we're still here. I find myself again, fighting for things or working for things that I'm not necessarily versed on. And, and I'm being totally transparent here. Um, you know, and, and so, Yes, I'm going to fight for my trans kids, but that doesn't mean that all LGBT people know what that means. And so for the advocacy to be great, we really have to do a better job of uniting our, uh, uniting all of these people, um, all of our LGBTs together um, to understand the trans issues right now, because that's our biggest issue right now in, in school. Um, but I'm, I'm not gonna say the biggest is, but it's the one that's coming up, right? And so we and and so we've we've got to come together and figure out how to fight with them before. So it's going to be very important, extremely important that we're united and that we're well versed and we know these issues. And and so, but to the extent our community can be helpful is to get knowledgeable, right? And then we can to deal with this. Then we can go into the schools and make great suggestions and make great policy suggestions and and, and be well informed and be united. And I think that's that's going to be the most helpful position of what's going to come up in the next few um, that, of how we're going to be able to deal with that. And 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 it's generational, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm as I'm getting older. And and it's and y'all will all get there one day. I was all sitting where you're sitting 20 years ago in D.C. and all of my progressive organizations that I work for. And then one day you will be 40, and one day somebody will be sitting in your seat. And so like and, and, and so you'll be like, no. And it's not like I don't understand this at all, right? And so it's very important that you don't become that guy. <laughs> that's like, no, this is the way it was when I was there and this, that, and the other. I have to be very careful of that. You have to, because you, because you only know your experiences. So you have to be open. So we've got to do a number, we have to do a job on our elders. I hear them talking and I hear what they say and I hear I'm a, in those conversations and we've got a lot of work to do. Now, as far as the policy side goes, I think that we've, we've, we can continue to um, the Supreme Court made great strides with, you know, protections and things like that. And um, and even included going as far as, um, um, you know, protecting in workforce, right? The LGBTQ uh, community. And, um, and used to hear 
the bathroom case and um, for for a trans, which is also great news. But refusing to hear it doesn't give doesn't uh, doesn't protect us from a state yet. So uh, uh, so we still have a lot of work to do. Um, definitely, it's very interesting um, because, especially in my generation, um, I see a lot of people. The extent of their activism is posting on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I think every generation actually is guilty of that to some extent. So I definitely do see the merit in that getting out and becoming aware and fighting and standing up and becoming visible. Um, and I, I definitely agree because when we look back on historical fights, we're like, yes, that was great. But um, like you said, of course, it's hard in the moment, but it definitely pays off. And um, I know you mentioned the bathroom bills and uh, HB2. And I, I that's kind of the elephant in the room when talking about anything LGBTQIA plus politics in our state. And of course, the devastating economic impact, but also just the devastating psychological impact I was, um, I think I was around 15 or 16 when that bill passed. So I had no voice in terms of voting and politics. And I remember um, I saw that bill for the first time in the news on the day that it passed. So I was, I, I went straight to my mom and I asked her about it. And I was, I was like dumbfounded at how our state and representatives could possibly think of something so evil and so clearly discriminatory and filled with hate. And I, I was like, it, this might pass, like, this is awful, it might pass. And, and as my mom, she had to be the one to tell me it already had passed and it had already become law and that the article I saw was out of date. And, um, and so when thinking about a bill like that, just about my own personal experience of hurt with that bill and with the bills that are always coming up. Um, where do we stand with that in our state? And where, you know, where do we stand in that fight against bills like that? And um, sort of where do we stand with the legacy of HB2 in our state? Well, we have a, um... Like I said, this year they did. Um, they, the, the Speaker Moore has said that he's not going to pursue that, and so I think you will always have factions in the state of North Carolina that will um, that will be anti-LGBT or anti, especially trans. I am hopeful we have gotten to the point of laws being passed. Now, this is where we can get into trouble. So if you don't educate people, and let's say somehow Democrats take control, right? And the LGBT wing or the, the progressive wing decides that they want to push laws. Like, look at it exactly what happened. 
like in Charlotte, there was a progressive wing that pushed the law, the bathroom bill in in Charlotte, right? So that prompted the state faction of the far right to make a bill. And then everybody was forced to vote on something. And this really is exactly how it happened. Most people who voted for HB2 didn't even want to vote for HB2. They're just forced to by their caucus, right? And so you always want to avoid those type of situations. And so what happened in Charlotte was before the community was versed, before the community was educated, there was policy done, right? And so then you have whenever there's ignorance, there's fear, and then when there's fear, there's action. And so that's exactly what happened. You've got to be careful to make sure that people understand what things are and, and, and educate people on what things are to avoid reactionary things, right? And so no, that doesn't mean that I'm in um that I'm in a, in, in, in um that doesn't mean that I'm an advocate for not fighting just because people are not where they are, where they should be. And that doesn't mean that I believe that that um, people should be able to uh, uh, lose rights and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that if the same thing I said before, but if the best way to avoid anything is to educate folks. Yes, for sure. Um, that education part and that continual fight is definitely a given, uh, especially in our state, but anywhere. Um, yeah. I actually have just continue with this uh, line of thought and discussion. Recently, I know Apple announced that it was opening up a new campus in RTP. Um, this is something that's quite large since, of course, when HB2 was passed, we wound up losing out on a lot of these large companies. And so I'm wondering, as we're starting to see new economic attention coming to North Carolina, starting to sort of potentially uh, undo the economic damage from HB2. I'm wondering if the public is still doing enough to have, like you keep saying, these conversations to challenge our own understandings and challenge our own views to then progress to a more equal society, or if we've just found a place where, and I say we, referring to like the, the state in general, um, I'm wondering if North Carolina has just found a space where it's comfortable to, um, to put it bluntly, to ignore the issue and just kick it down the road and try to uh, fix its image after HB2, but not necessarily build upon the negative experience and try to create a more positive space. I Like I said, I was very, very, look, I have um, I have, I have, uh, I have had conversations with these folks. In fact, even when I was joining, and um, even when I was in the marriage amendment, um, the private conversations were better than those public. Even uh, Senator Tillis, who is a very good friend, and um, offered me to do a deal to get rid of the marriage amendment. Unfortunately, the deal was something I couldn't do, and I'm not going to disclose, but it was a deal because he didn't want to do it. 
wanted me so much to take that deal. And because um, they didn't want to have to vote for it, right? And um, and so I think what you've seen me evolve from that and the embarrassment of HB2, it seems Speaker Moore would come out and say that we're not going to deal with that and, and it's not worth it. I think that's where we are. I think that we had to have that fight earlier for us to realize that the HB2 fight, like it blew up, right? It's like, I mean, like you've never seen anything blow up. It was worse than the marriage movement, really. And, um, and no one wants that smoke right now. And, um, and so, and, you know, and I think that that's where we are. I think that there are, there will be some things. I think we are in, in, I think the biggest challenge we have right now is with the trans community in terms of policy is sports. And we're going to have to figure that out because that's a hard one. And that's a hard one. That, that I, mean, I think I seen a poll one day and it was around 85% that were against that. I mean, that's, that was even worse than where we were starting the, um, starting, um, gay marriage, right? So, um, and so that's way back, you know what I'm saying? That that's going to be the fight. And so, and I can tell you, even myself, um, had to get educated on this issue. I'm still not educated enough on it because evidently I had made a statement that was not correct and I did not know that. And then I had to get educated. And I don't want kids to wake up to a vote that's 85% to 15%. We don't want you to do this, right? That's devastating to their eyes. And so that's why I'm careful about how we do it. And if you go out here and try to have this fight irresponsibly, it's going to have a traumatic effect on, 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 on folks. And that is why I'm very careful about how we talk about it, very careful about how we deal with it, and very careful of how it's presented because people are ignorant and they will say ignorant things. That's what they'll see. And that was what I worried about the marriage amendment. You know, I was like, I don't want to vote. I tried to move the marriage amendment into the, in, in, into the general election. Remember, if y'all remember the guy, it was in it was in the primary, and I'm like, that is a for sure vote that's going to be lopsided, and I don't want gay kids to wake up to a lopsided vote. I would rather for it to be in the general where we have a better chance to have a 60-40 split than an 80-20 split. I don't want that split. It's not representative of North Carolina, but in a primary, it would have been. So. Um, and so, and so the politics that got into that, and that's when I tried to explain to all of my gay donors and other people that they did not, the law, just because they were Democrats, that did not mean that they had our interest in heart. They wanted our votes, but they didn't have our interest. The interest is this, make sure that people live healthy and make sure that we have things. So if you're going to have a fight, do it in the best possible outcome, not doing the best outcome. They didn't want it in the general because they thought that they would, the Democrats would lose in the general. And um, and they lost in the general anyway, and so we did it in the primary, and 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 that vote looked way more lopsided than it would have been if it would have been in the general, where the whole population would have went voted for. Instead, you had in a, a primary where Republicans were running a statewide, and we were not. More of them came out than we were going to come out. The vote looked worse than what the North Carolina representative, and that was what people woke up to that morning. They got to be very careful. We really do especially around this and because uh, I don't, I don't want reactionary shit to happen. And, um, and I don't want people to be hurtful and I don't want people to come out of their mouth saying ignorant stuff, especially from their own community, which will happen. And so um, that's where I'm at with that. 
Definitely. And something to just interject into the conversation when we're speaking about trans people and trans rights is that there are definitely experiences and pressures and harms that trans people experience that cisgender people will never understand or experience. Um, and so I just want to be aware of the space that we're in, um, where we're speaking about trans people without trans people being part of the conversation. Um, and this is kind of where being an ally, being an advocate um, comes into play, but it, it is, um, like you're saying, something that needs to be done strategically. And um, as cisgender people, we just need to be aware of how we fit into that puzzle and that conversation. Um, another, uh, something you um, mentioned was sort of the ignorance around um, trans issues and pieces of legislation that come up. But combined with that ignorance is also fear mongering and intentionally making people more ignorant and promoting myths um, such as trans youth being magically better at sports or, uh, you know, L any other type of LGBTQ plus people being creepy or weird or just unsafe to be around. Um, and so I think that's a very dangerous combination when you have already people ignorant and willfully ignorant. Um, and then you have other people injecting fear and myths into that whole conversation. And then I really think that's where those pieces of legislation find their power and find their footing because on the surface level, it's easier for people to be like, that makes sense versus to try to change their way of thinking and uh, really understand why these bills make absolutely no sense. And if anything should become a laughing stock when they do come up, um, but it's not a laughing matter. And it's something that needs to be taken very, very seriously because of the implications that you're mentioning and because of the suicide rates and because um, like HB2 impacted how I saw myself and how I felt and um, all of these bills have that same impact on so many kids and so many people of all ages. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any ideas or insights about how we can work to dispel these myths um, because education will hopefully eradicate some ignorance, but the other side of that is proving that these harmful stereotypes are not true. Like I said, even in our own communities, like that's gotta, it's, the myths are big and, um, and share your story. And it's still all about education, but it's not just about like learning. This is what we do. So now tell your story, tell how you feel. The stories is what move people, right? You can give all the data in the world. We have to have those stories. What does it mean, right? So we've got to be able to tell these stories. That story that I just told and other stories that we've told before that keep happening where people are losing rights and more important, losing their lives uh, over, you know, just who they are. So um, I believe storytelling is the most effective way, and that's the best way. It's not always going to be 
um, the scientific data. It's not always going to be um, a fact sheet that's going to change people's minds. Stories change people's minds, and that's what we're going to have to do to move people from one place to the next. Would you say that we've become too obsessed with data now? Uh, as you've mentioned, there's always polls. Our society is expecting numbers. Do you think that is distracting from the conversations that we should have, or is it still... I'm a data person, but I'm a policy guy, right? So I don't think that when it comes to discriminatory things, I don't think data works. I think I, I, I think that somebody just like something's data doesn't work. Like I sit and fight Democrats all day long about school choice. Eighty percent of the population wants school choice and believes in charters and promises. Do you think that that data point has any bearing at all on any Democrat that's in office? No, they could care less. It's an emotional issue. Sometimes emotional issues there is no data right the only thing that changed people's mind is the lobbyist for the ncae who used to yell and scream at me about my stance on it now we work together because his daughter was a special needs child and he couldn't find help but he had enough money to send her a private school and he finally got what i was saying that poor black folks and poor rural folks don't have that money to make his choice. So now he's joined that fight, but it was his personal story that did that. It was no data that, that, that was going to ever change his mind. The 80% of people who believe it, 70% of African-American, African-American community who believed in school choice, he was never going to go that far. But because he had a child with special needs, he changed his position. And that's just the way it works. And his story, now he goes around telling his story to change other Democrats' mind about it, why we need options and choices. And, and, and so it can happen, but it literally does need to, like, data does not always work, especially in public opinion. You might can use data to prove your point in the argument, but when you have an emotional fight and, you have an, and people are tied to things that they've known for their whole life, to get people, there is no data that can get people out of that mindset. That will only be stories. I definitely, I wanted to add to that question about data. I think, I think that was a good question, Dimitri, just because when we even ask that question, I feel like we're thinking in like this policy mindset, like this whole time we've been thinking in like winning these policy mindsets and like seeing those as wins for trans people. And I think as we talk about like this fight for trans rights and how much we have to lose and how much value there is in it, I think I look even beyond policy and seeing wins in society and coming together for trans people, not just to beat a bad bill, but to be there for trans people and to show up for them and to say that like, hey, we're going to be here for trans people and whatever they want to do, whether that's play sports, be their true authentic self in whatever space they are or room they're in or anything like that. I think I think it's important to see the value beyond data, beyond policy and things like that, to see the wins in society that we want and, you know, just the wins that we want to create for trans people can be achieved in our everyday life. Like we don't have to look to policymakers to to get these wins and to achieve this education across the state. So I think it's also really important to to look to ourselves and 
to look within and to see, you know, how can we as everyday people like advance this fight for trans rights and be better allies for our trans brothers and sisters all across the state. So I think that's very real. You're correct. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Alyssa, because when I was thinking about how um how Marcus, you were talking about how we need folks to tell their stories. Um how can we expect them to tell their stories if the environment isn't inviting of that? And just like what Alyssa was saying is we as, um, as friends and allies and supporters, it's our responsibility to create that environment to allow folks to speak their truths, be their authentic selves, everything we're talking about. So I really appreciate Alyssa, you bringing it up that it's, it's on us, it's on everyone. Um, and it's not always about policy. Definitely. You know, I've had people in my in my real life, I see them post online, I see them share things about certain bills or big political stories. And then when it comes down to it, when I truly need support on a hard day or in a in a case where I'm taking pressure and heat from somebody, they're not there. They're not giving me a call or just giving me a hug and telling me it's OK. Um, and it really is those everyday real life shows of affection and love, not just political support. Um, and it's something that's very important to remember, but for people working around policy all day, every day, it's, it is also maybe difficult to remember that, um, that policy wins don't equal love, <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, a bill can sometimes just be a piece of paper in a city a couple hours away. So um, definitely it's important to remember that people are living in real life and not only uh, based off of policy. And um, it leads me to something else I wanted to discuss, um, which are sort of the consequences that still stand for somebody who wants to live not just wants to needs to live and does live as their true self um i'm wondering um marcus and anybody else based on your experiences and observations where do we stand on people being able to operate in the world in the workplace in their relationships um freely and as their true selves um, and what consequences are still there? Well, I would love to believe to the extent that we can that freedom is a mindset and it's a free, and you're as free as you think you are. To some extent, you want it, but it's the other extent you have to create it, right? So there is a push-pull here, right? But um, at the end of the day, what we have to realize is that um, to the extent that you can free, be free, you need to be free. And to the, to the extent that you can force it, you need to force it. And I, and I say that in a weird way, but like, we need some brave soldiers, right? And that, that, that and all movements have them and all movements need them um, that are willing to stand up in spaces that are not welcome and that are, because you are free to do that might make people uncomfortable, but you are free to do that. And it might be uncomfortable for you, but you're free to do that. Um, and um, there are lots of freedoms that we have we don't take because it makes 
and I wish I had a better answer. But you know, we we most people who are marginalized continue to have this conversation in America about like to the extent of what we are free. But I'm always in the mindset that we are free as as, as our mind, and that somebody could have told me that an African American LGBT person, there's no way in the world that um, that that they could win an election in the deep south in the black in the black district. Well. You know, there's nothing that stopped me. I was free to go knock on every door in my district. I was free to, to talk about issues, and I was free to run against a 30-year incumbent, all of which was uncomfortable for him and was uncomfortable for me, but we did it. There was no law that prevented me from doing it. There was no law that stopped me from doing it. I just did it. Now, on paper, I wasn't supposed to do it. And, um, and so that's kind of like what we need to have happen is that you know stand up in spaces that you're not supposed to be in and and be free i definitely agree with marcus that marginalized people have to always have this conversation like with themselves and with others and i definitely appreciate those who are brave enough and who have the courage to stand up in those spaces and like push back against these societal like norms and things like that and but I also understand those who don't you know I feel like professionalism is embedded in so many of the things that we do just like and we don't even realize it and working in higher education now I see that all of the time in just small ways and so I really appreciate when places like here at Democracy NC really make an effort as an organization and as a workplace to push back against those professionalism and societal norms that we've put in place um, so that maybe people don't always have to take as many risks um, because sometimes just existing can be a big risk for some people. And so when workplaces and people who, you know, support their employees, they feel like take that time to kind of dismantle those boundaries in the way that they can, because like you said, they're so ever present in everything that we do that it's hard. The reality is it's really difficult to dismantle all of them, all of the tenets of white supremacy and professionalism. But I think it definitely makes a difference when workplaces help us out and other institutions and systems all over the place, not just workplaces, but, you know, any institution of power or system of power, you know, help us out to kind of dismantle these societal issues that we're dealing with and trying to push back against. So, yeah, but I really agree that marginalized people always have to have this conversation with themselves that other people just don't have to. Yeah. Definitely. And Democracy NC, it's not only an environment that tolerates somebody or accepts somebody, but it's a celebratory environment for sure. It's it's more than just accepting that you're there. Um, I mean, I can't count the times I've been posted on the social media looking exactly how I want to look or how many times on a on the Zoom meeting, somebody has just sent a nice little chat over. And um, that kind of comfort and support um, goes a very, very long way. Um, and even just thinking from like a, a very strictly like business side of things, uh, why wouldn't you want to create an environment where your employees are thriving? Because productivity will be up if an employee is not sitting there worried, sick all day. Um, 
so yeah definitely it's it's hard to move throughout the world as your true self because it it, it almost feels sometimes like you're looking over your shoulder at all times and um trying to anticipate things um before they happen which is a really harsh reality but um but yeah it's definitely when it's safe and when you are not putting your life or your safety in danger it's definitely important to let that light shine on through <laughs> in whatever you're doing yeah and also the more we empower others the more we can empower spaces to exist where people feel more comfortable standing up wherever they are and pushing back and you know taking that step so definitely agree yes definitely um and speaking of bringing your true self into very professional spaces of course marcus you uh, entered into a very professional space, which is the North Carolina General Assembly, and you have continued to operate in professional spaces um, ever since then and before then. So we would like to ask, um, what advice would you give to young people who are currently struggling to be present and bring their authentic selves into their spaces? Um, and yeah, any advice that? Yes, my advice to you is be you. You have no other choice and I'm sorry. We all for years tried to do something different. We all grow up thinking we want to do something different than our reality. We all felt like that. The truth is there's nothing you can do but be who you are. That's the only way that you can survive. That's it. I tried for 32 years to be something I wasn't and almost died doing it and um and you will do the same thing until the day that you realize there's not a thing in the world that you can do about how god made you and he made you in his image he made you just like him and he expects you to be kings and queens and um and he doesn't make mistakes and that the sooner that you can accept that and, and it is a journey and no one's going to take that away from you but you'll realize that the only way that you can survive in this world is to be who you are. To be anything other than that is really makes your life a lot more difficult. And I know you, a lot of young people can't see that now because you have peers and kids and things like that. But I promise you, when you go to college, you'll have those same peers and kids. And when you go to the workplace, you'll still have those same peers and kids. They'll still all be there. And you still will be you. And the best you is always the best place to be in. And the only way that can be is if you're your true authentic self. And that's really, at the end of the day, all you could ever be. And that's your charge. And so when you do that, it is so much more for, I, 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 32 years, I was afraid of being who I was and limited myself and, 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 and wasn't ever going to be the best that I could be. And so, and here I was. And here I am now, and I'm happier than I ever could be. And I waited 32 years to be happy when I could have did that at 18 or 16 or 14. And so don't be like me and wait all the, those years of living and suffering, um, trying to pretend to be something that you're not. Be who you are. Be proud of it. Because you, the, uh, the truth is, there is no other way. 
you'll find the roadblocks, you'll find gates. And that's why you keep running back to where, where you are. And you'll do that until you finally accept it. And then you finally be proud of it. Because like I keep saying, there is nothing you can do but be who you are. And that's the best you. Well, I think that's the end of our questions, Marcus. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're now going to transition over to a different comm segment. But I just wanted to, again, thank you so much for your time and all of your thoughtful answers to our questions today. You guys have a great day. Thank you for your work. Hi, it's Emily here. Um, So we've decided to introduce a new segment to our Built by Us podcast where we're asking questions um, to our guests and answering them ourselves. Um, So today's question for you all is, who's someone you admire or are looking up to right now? Okay, I'm gonna go first. My name is Hassan. Y'all know me. The person I'm looking up to right now is Tyler, the creator, Tyler Balder. Um, He just dropped a new album, uh, Call Me If You Get Lost. And on it, he's really vocal. And you can hear him like really coming into himself uh, as a a, uh, Black bisexual man in America and what that sounds like in rap. And he really represents for himself and his culture and his identity in this album. And it's also extremely fire. And so I think doing all of that in 2021 was like a super extremely cool thing and it's definitely one of my favorite albums right now so i'm definitely looking up to him as an artist and as a fellow creator um and wanted to give him that energy hi everybody it's ben here um somebody i am looking up to right now is shikari richardson who is headed to the tokyo olympic games this year Um, She has been very vocal about having a girlfriend and um, it's sort of those little things um, in terms of visibility that really pay off in the long run. And to see someone excelling in their field and being openly queer is very energizing and um, will definitely help fill up our batteries as we uh, exit out of pride month but of course pride month is all year round (laughs) snaps to that ben howdy all uh dimitri here uh person i'm looking up to right now is actually for those of you who who know me here at them and see i'm a big cycling nerd and uh, the tour de france is going on right now and uh just the other day uh, a sprinter by the name of mark cavendish won his first stage in a long time after being absent from the Tour de France for two for the two years prior. Well, the part the reason why I'm looking up to him so much right now is because he, after overcoming such a huge challenge in his life, he's still being so humble and highlighting the fact that even he did not necessarily think that that was going to happen and that he was thankful for the support he received from his family and um, from from the team as well. And to me, just seeing that that humility from someone who is by sort of the conventional understanding of the sport, someone older and someone who also has a family being able to be successful, but also still being grounded is reassuring. Um, And just also just a really feel like a really good feel good story. So 
um, yeah, just wanted to share that and share some love for the Manx missile from the Isle of Man. Alyssa or Emily, anything? It's okay if you don't. I guess I can say one, but it's not like a person, but like a people, like a group of people that I'm looking up to. This past like weekend, I hung out with my family that I haven't seen in a long time. And I had a whole bunch of like my younger cousins come and hang out with each other. And they're all like younger Gen Zs, like, you know, literally like nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds. And just hanging out with them this past weekend and hearing how like unapologetically themselves they are and how like accepting of others they are and ready to like call out the bullshit in the world and like just the people around them was like so refreshing to see in kids. Like I just feel like I have not seen that in kids before. I guess I don't hang out with kids that much, but getting to hang out with my cousins and getting to hang out with like the younger Gen Zs, I was like, you know, I I feel refreshed right now. I feel motivated if this is my future. Okay. These honest, cool, forward thinking kids. Okay. So, you know, somebody I'm looking up to right now, the kids, I'm looking up to the kids, right? They're the future. They got it. <laughs> I love that so much. Looking up to the kids. Thank you so much for helping us create a North Carolina that truly is a home for everybody who lives here. And thank you for helping us to create a North Carolina that is built by us. And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Yay. Bye. Bye. I try to channel my inner Hey everyone, Alyssa here. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Here on Built By Us, we've decided to add a fun element to all of our episode endings and use our platform to highlight local musicians here in North Carolina. Music is a creative way for people to express themselves and you know we're all about that here at Demency. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode and are about to hear right now is called Ride and was written, produced, and performed by Z Alexander featuring Alyssa Watson. You can go check them out on all streaming platforms. And if you want your music to be featured on Built by Us, just hit us up at communications at democracync.org. Hope you enjoy. You can just lay here in my arms. Please tell me about yourself all night long. We can watch the stars tonight. But I gotta keep moving. We don't gotta worry about your past. I'm just trying to make the time last. No, we don't gotta worry about your past. And I want you to know you can just lay here in my arms. Please tell me about yourself all night long. We can watch the stars tonight. Keep moving, so let's ride.
Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DemocracyNC. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.